0: Hi and welcome to Axelbank Report's History and today Conversations with America's top nonfiction authors and why their books matter right now. I'm Evan Axelbank and today we're celebrating our hundredth episode with something a little different, a roundtable discussion with three other members of our online history community who have made their passion for reading and history into something more than a hobby. So let's welcome our guests first, The self-professed history nerd, Alicia Asai, who does the podcast Civics and Coffee, a show that takes historical topics and describes them in the time it takes for you to enjoy a cup of coffee. Alicia, welcome to you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Great to have you. Now, uh, let's welcome Jeremy Anderberg, who runs the substack Read More Books, which provides book recommendations and techniques to make sure you're enjoying and absorbing your reading two different things. He's done nearly 250 newsletters. Jeremy, good to have you.
1: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: And finally, let's welcome Steve Floyd, one of the founding members of the online history community, if I may say. He runs the site bestpresidentialbios.com, which is a running blog of his rankings of presidential biographies. He's read and reviewed over 300 books. Steve, welcome to you. Thanks. I think I now feel old. (laughs) (laughs) It's not old. old. It's eight years old, nine years old. There we Um, go. uh, Before we start our discussion, I want to invite listeners to our Patreon page, as we always do, to ask for your support in keeping the show going. Go to patreon.com slash Axel Bank History. We will donate part of your contributions to a charity that promotes children's literacy. So, for this episode, I wanted to gather people who are in the same boat that I am, not a professional historian. But I do love history and reading and have made my obsessive habit into something more than that with this podcast. I have three questions for each guest and probably more of them. And I've also asked them to come armed with their own questions for me and for each other. Totally informal, totally loose. They can feel free to jump in with their own thoughts and answers. But I'm going to start this conversation with Alicia. Alicia, you make a point of saying that your show is for those who want to learn history who don't necessarily have the time to sit through long books and lengthy podcasts. So, why do you think history has become perceived as a chore for some people, as opposed to something that we've made an effort to immerse ourselves in?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think, honestly, it comes from a a standpoint of you know not not the best educational experience in in your formative years, right? I know too many adults who say, oh, I hate history. And yet we'll have fascinating conversations about different, you know, events, people, um, eras. And they are always like, oh yeah, that's so fascinating. And so I I like to kindly remind them, you know, "Um, actually you do like history. You probably just haven't found something that you connected with, or you haven't found a medium that really speaks to you yet. And so when I was thinking about trying to do civics and coffee and sharing my passion for history, because that's I mean, that's basically what this is all about. It's a it's a passion project. I wanted to get more people involved in history. Um, The origin story of the podcast is I was talking with a friend in 2020, um, very historic year for a number of reasons, both good and bad. And as we were kind of talking about the similarities throughout history, he mentioned, oh, you know, I don't really like history, but I like talking about history with you. And that kind of got me going of how can I make history accessible to the busy adult? How can I get people to be more interested and want to engage with our past? Because I am somebody who firmly, firmly believes that we Are doomed to repeat our mistakes if we don't learn from from previous mishaps. And so that's kind of why I've decided to go into a a short form podcast segment. My goal is, is that when somebody listens to that episode, that something in there hooks them and they want to learn more and they want to dive in. So I I kind of want to use it as a gateway drug to get people into history.
0: (laughs) Steve and or Jeremy, do you guys, does that resonate with either of you do other people in your lives kind of roll their eyes when they watch you, uh, going after your hobby, uh, reading history. I know that people in my life do. no (laughs) mention people go another book. What are you doing? Oh, so you're
3: offering up low hanging fruit. I mean, this is, (laughs) this is the universal challenge I think with history and, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that I find ironic and Jeremy has a broader perspective than me because he actually reads more broadly than me. Uh, I spend my life reading presidential biographies, and the thing that's fascinating about them to me is that Alicia's Gateway drug, you know, bursts of things that are very interesting and lead to more questions. Well, pick up a book by Ron Chernow, and I don't care who he wrote about. Uh, It could be about Alexander Hamilton. It could be about George Washington. It could be about other people. History is fascinating. Now when you're in the 8th grade and you're, you know, waiting to go to PE or recess, it's dull learning names and dates that don't seem to connect. Uh I challenge anybody who's not read Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow to walk away from the first 10 pages not utterly engrossed. Uh but again, I'd love to hear Jeremy's answer to this because you know, I famously stick to to one fairly narrow genre and I'm constantly reading his newsletters and feeling both incompetent and inept and, (laughs) and, you know, very, very uh, well, I'm not going to go further than that, but
0: (laughs) competent. We'll leave it at competent and inept. Yeah. (laughs) We'll just stop there.
1: Well, I I think I appreciate those kind words, Steve. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, I think with, with my newsletter specifically, I do go very broad uh, just because I'm I'm interested by everything—it's new fiction, old fiction, philosophy, history, all of it—and my newsletter covers all of it. And really, my hope is that I catch anyone's reading interests, whatever their own gateway drug would be. So, I I kind of tend to believe that, that no matter what you're reading, uh, whether it's it's fluff or whether it's you know dense history that you'll always get pulled in deeper to whatever you're interested in. So if you're someone who's, you know, starting with James Patterson, I think there's a good chance you could read a few of them and then get sucked into the more classic mysteries, right? You'll eventually end up at Agatha Christie or at even um, Rebecca, which I, I just read, you know, this last week, which was incredible, a 1939 mystery. Um, so my hope is to always catch people where they are. Of course, I get... I get eye rolls from my wife when you know she catches me reading the annotated Frankenstein, which I'm doing right now, um, or the you know the the 500 page biography of Mary Shelley that goes with it um, is is really what I really love to do and share that with my readers.
0: So, so let me ask Jeremy. So, it, um, I thought that I would be more useful to more people in my life when they um, would ask for recommendations. I thought I. Because once I went public with this habit, I thought yeah. that I would get people say, "Evan, what, what what should I read next? Um, what what would you recommend on this topic?" And I really only have answers if it's history or presidential related, because as Steve said, sure, I read so narrowly. So, Jeremy, when you write your newsletter, what are your techniques in finding books, not just that you might like, but that other people would like?
1: Sure. That's a great question. So the the origin story of my newsletter is actually that uh, I was having coffee with uh, an author here in Denver. Uh, We were getting coffee just to talk about his new book, how to get the word out, etc. And he asked me what I was reading, I kind of gave him a list of a few things, you know, I had been reading and interested in in the last month or so. And he said, uh, you know, that's great. Like you should, you should have a newsletter and tell more people about what you're reading because they'll be interested in it. So that was the spark that was, uh, about five years ago now. And my hope is always, um, to actually not share the books that I don't like. Cause right. The, the whole impetus of my newsletter, the subject line is always what to read next I don't want to be saying, you know, here's what you should read next. If it's like a a two star, even like a, you know, a low three star read or if it's something that's, that's really inaccessible. Um, You know, there are are so many old presidential biographies, you know, this Steve that are just like really hard to get through, even as an ardent (laughs) fan of the subject, it's like, it's just hard to get through. And so my hope is always to find things that are readable and accessible, and that I'm, I'm kind of clarifying with with things like, hey, this this type of audience will be especially interested in, in this type of book. If you're like a, a general, you know, Mike Wallace countdown series books, which are great, but that's like a very kind of uh, high level reader versus someone who's like digging into Cherno's books, which are incredible, but obviously still require... A lot of just endurance and natural interest to get through. And so yeah, my my hope is always to kind of say, here's the audience who's interested in this. Let's make it kind of as broad and visible as we how, can.
0: How many minutes a day are we spending reading all of you? Is it every day? <laughs> is it is it in is it in every other day? I'll tell you my answer, but I'm curious. Uh Steve, well, I'll go
2: I'll go first. Um so I recently started graduate school, so my reading load <laughs> has significantly increased. So I'm easily reading 2 to 3 hours a day.
0: 2 to 3 hours and how many books does that make for a week?
2: Well, I am unfortunately a notoriously slow reader. So uh, um that usually gets me to about 2 to 3 books a week.
0: Okay, well, that's 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 a nice <laughs> that's, that's a nice pace. That's a nice
2: yeah. pace. Slightly um, behind
3: the American average, I'm sure, but yeah. <laughs> Right. (laughs) Yeah. Steve? Yeah. So it's interesting. I can't, at this point, having, say, read 12 books on Lincoln, I can't read a 13th book on Lincoln and compare it to the previous 12 Uh, unless I really have a chunk of time. So I average 45 minutes a day, but I'll go two days, not read anything, and then read for two and a half hours. mm -hmm. Uh, And then work gets in the way, life gets in the way. Uh, I was early on advantaged by the, Burden of having to be on flights to Shanghai and back. Oh, that sounds within, so good. That within thirty-six so hours, I would literally fly to London, three-hour meeting, and I come back. And it's great if you're in business class and you've got a book, because what else are you going to do? You're not going to sleep, right? That that's for later. Uh, but uh, yeah, those those pockets of twelve hours have gone away. But uh, yeah, I, I have to read for one to three hours, or I can't I can't remember what what I read.
0: Jeremy
1: yeah, it's a great question. and it's one that I get a ton, obviously with the newsletter called read More Books, I get that question all the time. Uh, I average about a hundred books a year. I have for about a decade, um, which is a couple books a week. Um, on average, I you know, reading is my lifeblood, so I, I wake up early before the kids are awake just so to make sure I get at least an hour of reading in before the kids are awake. Um, I'm a morning person, so it's not too tough for me. I make some coffee and read for about an hour and then I'll get little snippets throughout the day. You know, there's three young kids between school and activities. I'm able to get in 10, 20 minute snatches at a time here and there, and then I'll read again at night before lights out for 30 minutes. So it, it averages between an hour to a day, um, which sounds like a lot, I think at the outset, but when you kind of break it down, it's actually not as much as you would think, so, and I've I've been doing that like I said for for over a decade. So, it's pretty That's ingrained a, habit by now.
0: You guys are really doing great, boy. I um <laughs> as uh, as much as I love it, uh we have a 15-month-old. So, the last year <laughs> or so has been less reading than I've ever done or at least in the last 10-12 years. Um I'm probably more like Steve. I'll do maybe um I'll, I'll go maybe a day or two, or even three days without reading. But then, because of the way our work schedules have worked out, meaning my wife and I, my wife Haley and I, um, I get sort of three, four hours to myself. So while she's at work and Kennedy is sleeping, which is, by the way, the name of my child, not <laughs> the president, uh, uh, while Ken- Kennedy, the, the presidential Kennedy is always asleep. Um, Kennedy is, uh, while she's asleep, I'll get maybe two, three hours. Um, and I'll get that two, three, four nights a week. So I can do maybe um, maybe a book and a half. Well, I, I've read about 25 books so far this year. So, eh, you know, maybe I'll wind up at about 35 for the year. So a little less than one book a week. Um, Steve, th- this question is uh, for you. When you review a presidential biography, how do you remind yourself not to review the president, but the book and the author. Um, and what are the things you look for in a great biography? Cause I sit there going like, Oh, what is he thinking? Like, what kind of a president is this? What an idiot. <laughs> um, or what a great president. How do you focus on the book and not the guy? Um, and to this point, men himself.
3: Interesting question. And, you know, th- Sort of the origin story of my effort was the 12 hour, 14 hour flight to Hong Kong, followed by a 12 or 14 hour flight back. What do I do? I wanted to do like a few thousand Americans. I wanted to read one biography of every president. So I thought, well, gosh, there's a Google search waiting to happen here. What's the best biography of each president? And guess what? I couldn't find a list that I liked. So I decided I would go create the list. And then I had to figure out which biographies was I going to read on George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or Zachary Taylor. Uh, But now when I read a a presidential biography, it's easy for me not to slip into the rate the president versus the book problem, because all I'm really doing is comparing that book to the other three Zachary Taylor books I read or the 29 Abraham Lincoln books I read. Uh, So the complexity for me is not what's my mission It's how do I keep straight all of the other material I've read on this individual? What's distinct about this book? What makes it unique? Why am I even bothering? Do I need to read another Thomas Jefferson biography? Why did somebody even publish this? And so I'm looking for the hook. Is there something special about
0: it or is it just a good recycled story? Interesting. Um, I'm going to do one more and then you guys can jump in with your questions. I've asked them to come armed. With their questions so where is a place that you visited that you visited because you read it in a book um and i'm going to go first on this one hmm. um at the end of david mccullough's book on truman truman um is living in independence and um he d- mccullough describes how an rip by the way to david mccullough but mccullough describes how truman would walk around in his suit and his top hat and walk around town and the luckiest reporters and residents of Missouri in the world would run into a former president and get to meet him. And I just thought that is amazing. And so um, we were on a cross country trip, a bunch of my college buddies and I, and I was the only one who wanted to get up in the morning. And I was the only one who did get up in the morning so that I could go take our rental car. And drive to um, independence and walk around and feel like uh, I was either I was Harry Truman or I was about to bump into Harry Truman. And it's wonderful because they have little silhouettes of Truman on the lampposts and stuff like that. And so that was a place that I visited because I read about it in a book. Uh, You folks, what are your answers to that question? I can't wait to hear Jeremy's. I'm just saying no Frankenstein stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, well, so we, we are, so I'm in, in the Denver area of Colorado, uh, which puts us a couple hours South of Estes park, which is where, uh, Stephen King was famously inspired to write the shining from the, uh, the Stanley hotel. Um, and so uh, I have visited there. I mean, it's impossible to to walk into there and not see The Shining everywhere, um, which is pretty fun. But really, I think for me, it, it more so goes the other way where we'll kind of pick somewhere to go and I will dive into the history of it very deeply, um, more so than choosing a place based on the history. I think my wife appreciates my approach a little better. <laughs> <laughs> where I'll, I'll I'll let her kind of pick the locations and then i'm I'm happy to do the the digging into the history elsewhere but especially here in Colorado there are some places inspired by my reading that I'd love to visit that I have not yet there's some like interesting Civil war sites out here um I mean pike's Peak of course is kind of an incredible historical mountaintop to visit um so there's plenty out here that I have uh, just not quite gotten to yet
0: Alicia
2: um, this is probably gonna be, you know, low-hanging fruit and an obvious answer. But um I as I was diving back into the podcast and and rereading about John Adams, um, just Braintree, Massachusetts and Boston and that that whole historic town, I I had a pull to go there. So a couple of years ago, my husband and I, we went out there and I remember we landed um and we were going into a, a metro station and I saw Braintree. <laughs> As a stop, and I was like, "Oh my God, Braintree, Massachusetts!" We have to stop, <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we course- need gas
3: <laughs> or Wendy's.
2: I just uh so so I geeked out so much, and my husband just looked at me like, "What?" And so then, of course, I had to give him, you know, an 18-minute spiel about Braintree, Massachusetts, and why it was so important, and J- John Adams. And he's like, "Oh my God, never mind."
0: <laughs> we'll go. We'll go. Steve, what about you?
3: Oh, mercy. That that reminds me. I had an answer and now she's, she's catalyzed a, a second answer. So I'm not going to filibuster, but I will give you two answers. Uh, I'm a uh, private pilot. And when my wife was in medical school and I would go visit her on the weekends in Western New Jersey, uh, I would grow bored waiting for her to get off her surgical rotation or out of delivering a baby or whatever she was doing that week. So I decided to take flying lessons. Uh, one of the landmarks if you land at the Philadelphia airport is Washington's crossing. So this is a, this is an answer in kind of reverse order.
0: Is this the commercial airport?
3: This is the, the uh, actually not the commercial airport, the uh, Northeast Philly. So just, just about five miles away. Um, And one of the check marks for landing at Northeast Philly airport is um, over Washington's crossing. Well, I must've mentioned that 10 or 20 times before I finally asked myself, what the heck is Washington's crossing? And then I read a David McCullough book that, of course, famously, you know, whacked me across the head. I'm going to set that aside. The, you know, the other part of the origin story for my site is that I famously live about an hour or less from George Washington's Mount Vernon, Jefferson's Monticello, Madison's Montpelier, James Monroe's law office, his house, the homes of Zachary Taylor, William Henry Harrison and John Tyler. And so it was sort of preordained that I was going to have to do something with the presidents. And my house is built on a Civil War battlefield. I'm not sure how that worked, but that there we go. Um, so of all of those places, the first place I had to visit was none of them, because I found out that Jefferson, Madison, and Lafayette frequently dined at a place that's a local bed and breakfast that's been there since 1766 still standing the original brick in this room and the room is big enough for about 12 people and i heard there was a wine dinner there so of course i had to you know grab my wife and go and she's like where are we headed she didn't really care about the backstory and all i i wanted <laughs> to touch the walls and like you know james madison's smoke might be on this you know but uh it's the coolest place but uh uh, so, you know, I've visited everywhere other than Zachary Taylor's Montebello, which I don't think they let you into, but... We,
0: uh, we just saw James Madison's flute made the news. Uh, yeah, I was going to say as that. Me.
1: That was incredible, yeah. <laughs> incredible. You never
0: know what you're going to hear these days. Uh, who um uh, who wants to ask a question? It's weird for a host to do this, but I'm going to turn it over. Uh, who wants to ask a question? Uh, and it can be anything. Go ahead, Alicia.
2: All right, this this question is for Steve. So I noticed that you have... Excuse me, I noticed that you have uh, read biographies on contemporary presidents, and so I am somebody like many thousands of Americans who said, I'm going to read a biography on every president, but I stopped at Clinton because I just felt like there's just hasn't been enough passage of time to really... You know, have a good, thorough understanding of their presidency, their legacies, their impacts, so on and so forth. So, with that in mind, do you feel like biographies of contemporary presidents are well done, or do you feel like there they should probably wait a little bit oh, longer?
3: Gosh, that's that. That's both a a pertinent question, a painful question, because I, I it, it's not really all that painful. It's just it it, it the the answer is sad because I. Sadly, I do think you can't really have the right perspective until 20 or 30 years have gone by. And in the case of our most recent notable former president, it, it may be longer. I'm not sure.
0: And there are um, so many books coming out about Trump right now. I mean, every there's like three out today by major correspondents. Absolutely. But go and, ahead, Steve. Sorry.
3: Yeah, you've got Cohen. You've got Maggie Haberman. And they, the they just Peter Baker, coming. too.
0: Yeah, Peter Baker. And, and
3: Peter Baker. Uh, so... There's a lot there's a lot to chew on. Having said that, I'm guessing Jeremy's gonna get to one of these well before I do because I think I was, I was gonna
1: say, yeah, there's there's like this interesting shift where at some point it'll go from journalists writing the books to historians. Um, and I think uh, in some of those cases, someone like like David Moranis kind of does a little bit of both where if they can focus on the like just the coming of age story. I think it can be done really well. Otherwise, yeah, it's just, it's too soon. Whereas like you get someone like, like Julian Zelizer will do the like, the the kind of right mm-hmm. away historical assessment. Um, and those are, are pretty good and, and interesting, but I would definitely agree that it's inevitable that you just, you have to wait to get the full picture. There are things that happen, you know, a decade, two decades later that can influence how we see, you know, people, of course, I mean that still happens today. We're still, you know, uncovering even records from World War II that'll change how we see Truman or records that change how we see Kennedy, whatever. So it's always kind of kind of evolving, which I actually appreciate. You know, you get a lot of people who don't want um, perspectives changed on presidents, but I really enjoy it. Right, every generation is different, and I I appreciate kind of seeing all those perspectives. Even though I do, I appreciate the historian perspective the most for sure.
0: Well,
3: well, Well, go ahead, Steve. Sorry. I was just going to say to Alicia, to the core of Alicia's question, the wake up call for me was Gene Edward Smith's biography of George W. Bush, Mm. uh, which I think came out in 2016. And I can't, previous to that experience, couldn't fathom not enjoying a Gene Edward Smith biography. And I read that and it felt like somebody striking out at their idea of a presidency, that you know didn't meet its target a person who wasn't mature enough for the office and then i think wow what if gene edward smith had to think about maybe writing that book in 2022 thinking back to 2016 to 2020 he might have kind of spent a little less time worried about you know a rifle shot problem he had with that particular president and more he would have spent a little more time on the context and and the global picture and Uh, So, yeah, I haven't read I haven't read a biography of Trump. I have read several of Clinton and Obama. And even in those cases, some of them were excellent. Marinus, uh, Remnick, Garrow. uh, I think I think time is kind to a biographer. It gives them space and distance to sort of get out of the bubble. Uh, But I can't wait to see what somebody writes about 45
0: and 20 or 30 years. Gene Edward, the first line of his book is literally. The nation has never been as poorly served (laughs) as they had under george w bush Uh, Um, there we
1: go such a surprising book yeah it's really really interesting Um, yeah
0: and i agree with both of you on marinus on and obama uh, on obama because that book is truly an epic and one of i've probably only given 20 or 25 five stars on my out of my 450 goodreads and that was one of the uh, five stars Alicia, do you read biographies of current presidents?
2: I do or? not. Um, and it's I, I it's a maybe the easiest example to to give, but kind of the reason why I don't do it is you look at Thomas Jefferson, right? For years, he was so revered. And every biography that you read about him was just how brilliant he was and how magnanimous and and he's he was he was an intelligent man. I'm, I'm not going to fault him for that. But you know, you noticed scholarship changed and then new, you know, new interpretations of things have occurred. Um, and so I just, I always like to keep that in my mind. And as somebody who was definitely a part of the voting public during Bush Jr.'s years, <laughs> um, I I had certain opinions and I, I think that historical perspective is important, right? Because again, had you asked me in 2014, To give you my opinion about him as a president, probably would have been much harsher and and perhaps more um, emotional than today, 2022. Me. And that's just me. I'm not a historian. I don't, um, you know, I don't have the the backing of all of this, the research behind me, but just knowing me as a person and my own emotional involvement. And that's that's why I always think it's it's a tricky business to try to do a biography on a president because that's not just the man thus far, uh, and their their administrations, right? Every president leaves a legacy, good, bad, or indifferent. And I don't think, you know, even right now, you can't really say what what 45's legacy is, right? It's still way too early. There are still documents that they're fighting over. Um, and all of that I think will paint a fuller picture that historians today just don't have access to. So um, and I like to know like what were the impacts and the legacies of a presidential administration. So that's just my personal preference. But
0: But I'll tell you I I I am um I'm surprised at the three of you. I'm I'm a little naughty here. I, <laughs> uh, You're reading the tabloid fodder? I, I, not quite, but almost. Um, I've got 15 biographies of Bill Clinton on that shelf. Wow. I've got three of George W. Bush. I've got about 13 or 14 on Obama. And I've got 22, I think, on Trump. And I've read them all.
2: Twenty-two. <laughs> um, there are been twenty-two too, yeah. biographies. Too many.
0: It's too many. Like, <laughs> Jesus. It's like it's like maybe eighteen or so. Um, you need to uh, read um, who's
1: what, uh, the Washington Post guy who wrote the book about all the Trump books. Oh, Carlos Lozada. Yeah, I've, I've heard book of that one. About the the Trump kind of publishing engine is fascinating. For, that he for, inspires more books for good or ill than anyone else.
0: For for me, um I, I don't know. There's something about it that I, I can't look away from. Uh and <laughs> I am I, I
1: I mean, do you think that's influenced by your being a journalist?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean I love to I love to 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 see how they take daily reportage and put it into book form. Um but I do have a um I do have a curiosity about the nuggets and about the conversations that they're reproducing and uh, on someone like obama um i I think some of the books are actually especially by his former aides are actually really interesting about witnessing how they saved uh, or how they responded to the financial crisis and how they responded i just finished a great one by cody keenan which is Mm -hmm. the episode out today about the amazing grace speech um and i just find that i I, I don't know how else to put it. I can't stop.
3: I just... Well, but this, this not to come full circle, but this sort of gets at Alicia's sort of reason for being, which is that history can be digested in nuggets that are accessible. And more importantly, they're interesting. So when you read, I'm sure when Maggie Haberman's book, which I may have bought and should be landing on my doorstep any minute now, when that when that arrives, I'll probably flip through it quickly. I won't read it and review it yet. But, you know, this is real stuff. It's real life presumably this stuff really happened and it's more interesting to me than an episode of friends or lost or arguably Seinfeld. I mean, this is like soap opera. Seinfeld. I had to pick yeah, something yeah. that I knew would hit close to home since yeah, yeah. I think I remember you're a big fan. But uh, the, the thing that's fascinating to me about some of the books I read is it really happened unless you're reading something that somebody made up. This stuff really happened, and it not only influences how we ended up where we are today, and helps us avoid making the mistakes Alicia would like us not to make again. Although I think we make a lot of them over and over. Uh, I mean, this really happened, and yet it's as good as anything you can watch on
0: TV. Uh, Steve or Jeremy, either of you have questions you're dying to ask. I, I can keep going. I, I wrote, I wrote enough. But Steve or Jeremy, anything you want to get at the group?
1: I'm actually curious about uh, everyone's note taking habits. Cause as someone who produces content out of what you read um, I love hearing about people's processes for that. Um, So yeah, I'd be curious to kind of hear how you all, how you all read, how you take notes, how you kind of condense that into content. I mean, that's kind of, could be a very big question. Um, But for me, at least I can kind of start and answer myself as I always, whether it's um paper book with a pen in hand or a Kindle, which I do love for the highlighting abilities, um, I'm always transcribing notes into Google Docs. And then I kind of work my review out of there from the start. So my my Google Docs is just littered with folders of categories so, so do and do topics sit, and whatnot. Do
0: you, do you sit holding your phone and typing as you read or do you sit straight up with a computer or a laptop next <laughs> to you? So uh,
1: it kind of depends. What I actually use, if um, anyone has an iPhone, the live text feature, which is incredible. I don't know, Evan, Steve, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I actually no. So when you uh, take a picture of text on an iPhone, it'll, uh, I don't know if you can see this, but it'll show up this little button in the bottom right corner um, that'll allow you to copy and paste text into a document, which is like the handiest thing that Apple has ever done. <laughs> um, so I use that quite a bit, and I'll just paste it right into a Google Doc on my phone. Otherwise, if it's um, like a paper book that I've done a ton of highlighting in, I'll sit with my computer open and just transcribe it into Google Docs sometimes. Um, I know sometimes that'll encode it in my memory a little better than if I'm just screenshotting something. So that's kind of, I take a ton of notes, and they're all in Google Docs. That's how I tend to operate.
2: Uh yeah, I'm kind of similar. I for the longest time I thought it was blasphemy to mark your book. I was one of those readers. Honestly, I can't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I honestly can't do it. Really? It took oh, grad wow. school. Wow. It took grad school. And I still don't know that I will do it in like my my stuff, but in my grad school books, I've found like, yeah, I need to because I just I need to get through them. Mm. Um so. It's and it's painful, it hurts me every time I do it, but I digress. Um, but yes, I'm also a here's my my phone's always with me when I'm reading. And as uh, if I'm not reading on a Kindle, which I agree with you, Jeremy, I love Kindle because I can just highlight it and it goes right into my Goodreads app so I can look at it again, um, or at any time. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I just open up the notes app and will either copy and paste text like he mentioned or I'll be just writing little notes to myself and then at the end of it I I am kind of the history dork I take pen to paper because again just having that muscle memory um and then that kind of helps me figure out all right this is what I'm going to talk about this is how I'm going to craft the episode these are the questions that I still have can I find some other source material that might help send me in the right direction um so that's my process
3: this is very instructive since I might I might have to find a way to tweak my own process. I never thought about a process as a process, but I wasn't halfway through James Flexner's series on George Washington back in 2012 or 13 before I came across something clever he said in just a clever way. And I thought, I've got to remember that quote. That was just a great quote. It wasn't a fact, it was important, but it was just a way he phrased something. And ever since then, I basically try to keep track of all the great quotes anybody says or, or puts into writing. And at this point, I've got thirty-five hundred pages of notes I've taken on three hundred and fifty books, and at some point, I'm going to feel compelled to turn that into something. But for now, I just use it as a as a That's repository. It's a it's a well I can go to when I feel like I need some inspiration. And you can just wow. you know whether it's Gene Edward Smith on Bush or it's somebody Joseph Ellis on Jefferson. And you know, I've got three thousand single space pages of the greatest one liners in presidential biographies. That's a pretty unique niche, but Wow. So at least this point, Now what, what happens is I go through and take notes. I've got a separate Microsoft Word file that I keep where I'm essentially writing my review as I go. Because I at this point, I've kind of fallen into a routine for how I structure a 600-page, 600 600-word 600 review. They seem like 600 pages. Uh, yeah. and, and so I try to take notes as I go, you know, sort of filling in the blanks. And then I go back and sort of holistically reassess what I typed. But uh, that's, you know, the two reasons I don't read faster really come down to, I know I need to take notes, so I need a computer, because I can't write stuff down, and I don't have a Kindle, and I can't write in the book, Uh, and then it's the review itself. Review, you know, it takes me so long to write a review that you'll read in 45 seconds and say, yeah, that was kind of pedestrian, but I might, <laughs> read, it. I'm, I might read the book. He might've inspired me. Well, that took me five hours to write.
0: Uh, have, so, have you ever been it, asked on a plane, what the heck you're doing, sitting there with a book and going back and forth from a laptop? <laughs> um,
3: somebody asked me once if I was a history graduate student and I said, <laughs> I, only, I only wish. Yeah. Uh, then I would have coffee podcasts that would entertain and inform
0: <laughs> uh, my, my answer to, to the question is pretty simple. Um, I don't take notes unless I'm reading it for the podcast. Uh, if I'm reading it for, for fun, um, which is probably half my books now, the other half, well, maybe more for the podcast, honestly now, but, um, I, uh, for the podcast, I will sit there with my phone and write questions as they occur to me, as I go through the book. Um, and I will also take notes on really interesting quotes that I want to ask someone to expand on. And then the other thing I'll write down is just, and I'm glad you told me about this word to thing, Jeremy. Um, uh, I will, I, I, I mean, I, I'm so embarrassed to say this now, but I will sit there and write a quote, um, like I'll take a whole paragraph and jot it down on an iPhone if I want to keep that. Um, that's pretty much it. Uh, if I'm reading for fun, I almost never take notes, which is the joy of not being a student anymore, I guess. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. uh, well, but if I, you're taking notes on a, on a phone, it can't be for fun. That right. just, that, that sounds, oh, that's terrible. It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> Especially get uh, big phones. Who hasn't asked? Yeah. I think Steve, you haven't asked the question. Yeah. Yet,
3: well, I, today. you know, I, I'm, let me start with Jeremy uh, and it's a little bit cheating because I get his newsletter and I read, read it avidly. Uh, Because it almost to me is either the grass is greener when you can read fiction for fun, which I used to do, uh, or even break out of the genre of biographies. But, you know, his most recent newsletter that I read, I think received, but certainly read, uh, uh, provided a list of sort of your some of your all time favorites. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And I'm, I'm just curious. Look, I was a I was an ardent fan of Robert Ludlam and Tom Clancy and Agatha Christie. And so I missed those days of reading fiction when I could read almost without purpose, just, just to enjoy myself. Uh, before I realized you could enjoy yourself and learn history at the same time. But yeah. you know, war and peace. This is what it comes down to for me. You know, <laughs> a thousand pages does not intimidate me. Should I tackle it or you have somewhere else I should go?
1: War and Peace. Gosh, what a book. Yeah, so I, I first read it um, at the start of the pandemic. It's like just a perfect time. You know, you're stuck at home, nothing to do. Why not grab War and Peace? Um, <laughs> and I, I found it so easy to read compared to a lot of other classics of that era. I mean, it's around the same time frame as Moby Dick, Les Miserables. Um, a lot of the big Dickens books are, are roughly that time period, the, the mid-1800s. Uh, and it the language is just so much easier to digest. And I what I love about Tolstoy are his social observations. So he gets into like the details of Napoleon's, you know, campaign against Russia. There's a lot of that. He gets into his own um historiography of, of what he thinks the study of history should look like. He's very much against the the great man theory, you know, but it's like the the intimate details of like soldier's life. That's so interesting or how all the young men crave glory, but then they get on the battlefield and it of course is is totally different than what they expect. It's just other young men dying seemingly for no reason under a blue sky. Um, so I, I read it once kind of quickly ish all the way through and it, like I finished and immediately knew like, Oh man, I need to read this again. If I'm going to like really get (laughs) out of it, what, I feel like I should get out of it, right? Um, so then I read it again, but in a group. So I, I also I have another substack called The Big Read, which is this uh, this kind of big group book club. And so I, I read it with a couple hundred other people. And uh, second time I did it one chapter per day because it's 360 short-ish chapters. So it, it lends itself to reading over the course of a year really, really well. And there are times where you could ask me where, uh, like how I'm feeling about the book. And I would say it's like stupid and overly long and why would anyone read this? But then <laughs> but then by the end of the second time I'm again like, oh, I should like maybe read this again. <laughs> so it's kind of this I'm like inexplicably drawn to that book. I think he just gets to all at some point all aspects of life from birth to death and and back again. Um or kind of in in such a wise way that is unlike any other book i've read so i would absolutely recommend war and peace there is a ton of history in it for you yeah. non-fiction readers so yeah once i once yeah, i finish Carole,
0: once i finish carol volume five then maybe i'll do war and peace oh
3: yeah see that's not that's not fair
0: we're, we're all praying for that <laughs> you one.
3: can't yeah you can't say that you may never get to war and peace but i hope you do <laughs> no
0: mm-hmm. i think i think we're going to have it relatively soon um, my guess is the next presidential election year. That's my guess. Um, uh, how are we organizing our bookshelves? Uh, do First of all, are, do we all keep every book we get? Um, and what, are, what system do we have? And do we keep every book we get forever? Um, whoever would like to start can start.
3: Yes, we keep them all. We keep them forever. I don't know what my kids are going to do with them. And no, I cannot <laughs> write in them. Which is, which is ironic when I buy a used one on Amazon, which I often do. Uh, but uh, but yeah, minor minor easy. Evan, you know this. It's Washington through Obama in order of the presidency. Grover Cleveland gets a special exception since he was he went twice. Uh, I yeah.
0: know what your kids are going to do with the books, by the way. Uh. <laughs> so does my wife. <laughs> The same thing they do with my website. Never look at it. Never watch it. <laughs> well, yeah, even worse than that. Uh, Alicia, go ahead.
2: So I have all of my presidents at the top. I mean, and honestly, I have books everywhere. I have a whole floor <laughs> filled with books that I just keep going. I need to buy another bookshelf. And my, my husband, God love him. is like, do you really need to buy another bookshelf? Cause I feel like that's just going to be your impetus to buy more books. And I tried to tell him, honey, I'm going to buy them no matter what. At least let's get a bookshelf for them. So, presidents are on the top. I went as much by chronological order as I possibly could, followed by my other like nonfiction history books, things that I've picked up for the podcast. I have something in, you know, stuff for Abigail Adams, and I'm looking at Triangle Shirtwaist Factory from Back Alley yeah. to the Border about uh, the Pacific Coast abortion ring. Um, and then I have some fiction books in there um kind of all haphazard it's really it's chaotic and then i have a list of books that i want to read also for the podcast in chronological order so hopefully i'll get to them in between classes <laughs> and then i have my my grad school books that are just yay hi and not to mention probably some books on on the t- kitchen table cuz and,
0: and so how how many do do you have at this point
2: oh gosh 500? i think the last time week no, actually, not, not that many. I think the last time I counted, it was about 365. But I also have a lot on Kindle because I'm trying to not get divorced um and they do try to use the local library <laughs> for, for things of the podcast when i when i can if unless i'm like really committed like i love abigail adams so i was like yeah i have to buy the book um but i try to mitigate some of the clutter in the house because you know i like my husband <laughs> yeah, yeah uh
0: and he likes you for now uh jeremy go ahead
1: um I also, I have books everywhere. Um, my primary shelves, I have a few nice Ikea shelves lined up one shelf just for exclusively presidential biographies. Um, that one's easy to arrange. Even my seven-year-old knows where those books go in order, which is great. Um, another shelf for, uh, non-presidential focused history, um, that's in chronological order. And then a, a shelf for fiction and, philosophy, kind of other, other topics Um, in terms of, you know, keeping versus getting rid of since I review so broadly, I get uh, a ton of books from publishers. They send my way, they want me to cover them in the newsletter. So I end up with inevitably piles and piles of books. There were, at one point I was getting, you know, five to 10 books a week from publishers, which is just crazy. With those, a lot of them would honestly just go into a box and get given away immediately. (laughs) <laughs> or, uh, you know, we have a, a monthly book club that we host at our house all, almost every month just to have my friends go through the books that I'm giving away. Um, I'm happy to give away books unless it's something that has a special place in my heart or, or was an especially compelling read or something I, I feel like I will want to go back to again. Um, you know, as, as much as I love my my presidential reading project, I was happy to get rid of, uh, you know, some old Garfield books and, some, <laughs> uh, some old James Madison books. And, you know, there's some old stuff that just, I don't really care about, but I didn't mind getting rid of. So I'm trying to have actually less attachment to my physical books, uh, just cause they're, they just take up so much space and I get too many of them in the mail. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of a continual process of in and out for me.
0: The the attachment is real. I mean, I walk into my office, yeah. which we're which we're blessed to have, and and we have a new house. And so we, we, when my wife, when we walked into the house, she said, you know, we can put your office here, and I was like, buy the house. Um, <laughs> I don't care what else it's got. Um, uh, the attachment is real, and whenever I walk into this office, I look at them and I go like, ah. Look at this. this There's no great. place like home. There's no place like home. I, I say to yeah. Haley all the time, I go, look at these monsters, huh? Do you do you see these? Do you see these? <laughs> um, uh, mine are organized, like Steve, in order of presidential administration. The one hiccup um, it, with that part of it is that I cannot have hard covers and soft covers next to each other. So- I have a bit OCD. Uh, not a little. Uh, I have <laughs> nine. I have my nine by six, which is the standard size for a hardcover book. I have nine by six hardcovers lined up, straight and beautiful, and neat and organized, and right there. And I love the clean look that it gives. Um, I used to sort of organize by um, by like sentimentality to either the author or to the books, but I just found it sort of got because like am I sentimental about? gene edward smith or like is that book really not that good and i don't want it in the same category of his other books that are good so then i just put him in order of presidential administration and then um i have a, a, a new york shelf up at the top of like my episodic books with the power broker up there and then the others are kind of arranged by topic and in sort of chronological order so Ah, uh, the American Revolution, and then kind of it flows relatively peacefully into um the rest the of the Gilded Age. yeah, they, right they, right. Just like in order, sort of, you know. and so then what do, um, what do you
1: do with the with a book like Secret City that covers like, yeah, 60 which I just years. read. and we just had yeah. him
0: on the book. we had him on the show. um, a great episode that is in sort of like presidential recap books.
1: Sure. There's like the, the so, compendiums. Sure. Yeah.
0: Like, so there's like presidents at war Yeah, and Um, Accidental like a book on the secret and service and stuff. So like, that will be like in that, you know, so you've got that.
3: your own Dewey decimal system going. <laughs> yeah. And
0: it's only here. I could never <laughs> write it down, you know, it's only up here. Um, and then actually I still can't have the soft covers next to the hard coverage. It's just too much for me to look at. So I have, everybody's got their <laughs> kryptonite. <laughs> it's totally kryptonite um and so that i have uh, a section of soft covers that i really just kind of throw in there um but all my presidential biographies are nine by six and if they're too old then i've went and found the reprints of them in the nine by six so that i can you get to be
3: kidding me this really is no, a sick- no
0: no, no, it's it's
3: yeah, it's a little. You know, At least little you're crazy. you're. It's easy to buy Christmas or Hanukkah gifts for you. I know right. I know your mo now. I, I mean, it's very
0: easy. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, it, you know that's just the way it is. It's just that it's my kingdom. I I do what I want. So um, uh,
1: so what about what about Berlin game on Lincoln? I know that that's yeah. not a nine by six. Oh, there we go.
0: Very So good. it's a great question, and I haven't read them yet, so I don't have that attachment <laughs> to them. They are sitting. Got it. They're, they're sitting at the bottom of that shelf, which is to be read books, and those are mostly sure. Lincoln books. Well, you could knock so, that out in a day and a half. Yeah, right. I would. I would <laughs> actually love to try. Um, but uh, when I interviewed Michael for the show, I said, "I have, I will read these books. I promise, I will read." And he said, "We will be the only one who has." <laughs> <All> <laughs> <way through. laughs> that's what he said. Uh, um, so there you go. That that's a little window into my world. Um, I'm curious. What is, uh, What are the most frustrating aspects of your projects? Um, when you think about what you want to do more with them and whether it's a timing issue or what, I'm just curious to know what frustrates you. What are the things that you wish weren't so, but are?
3: Well, that, for me, it's easy. I just, I wish I had more time. I wish I had more time because, I, you know, this, this will never grow old. And uh, so in, in that sense, I admire uh, your other two guests, because with broader palettes and expanded horizons, you know, you really could fill a lifetime. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just I need more flights to Shanghai. Those are the good old days. So but Steve,
1: so you've expanded into non presidential biographies, of course. Yeah. Do you? But I, I assume I, I feel like. I can tell that you're like the soft place in your heart is still for the presidents. Is that is that true? Or have you enjoyed yeah, that, the other biographies just as much? No,
3: that, that That's true. But I will say I started tiptoeing it. Well, when I realized I loved Ron Chernow, I thought, wow, I really need to find a way to read his biography of Hamilton. So that was going to be the after the presidential journey. But then sure. the presidential journey couldn't really end because people are always coming out with new stuff. And, well, isn't that better than the old stuff? So I had to compare, which means I've got to sort of stick to that core, but at the same time read stuff like Hamilton. So, you know, I, I you know, you realize there are a lot of people related to the presidents. Eleanor yeah. Roosevelt. I mean, yeah. I was dying when I read about FDR. I thought, OK, he's great. But Eleanor reminds me of my grandmother. She's a pistol. I mean, if yeah. he's worth reading about, she's got to be ten times better. Abigail Adams, my gosh, who on earth can put up with John Adams? <laughs> and don't sleep on
0: don't sleep on Sarah Polk, by the way. There well, you know, it's interesting
3: Sarah you Polk. say that. I don't know that I'd want to have a beer with her, but she wouldn't know, want I, to have a beer with you. So, like, Abigail <laughs>
0: Adams. I mean,
3: I, I mean, you don't have to take a tour of Montpelier to realize. Uh, just thinking about Alicia's recent uh, podcast on James Madison, he was interesting. But she was the bomb. And I'm waiting for John Meacham to hurry up and write a book about James and Dolly Madison, which I presume will be mostly about Dolly, because she was 99 percent of what you care about in that relationship. Um, But to Jeremy's original point, you know, I started tiptoeing out because there were plenty of people related to the presidents that I thought were worth reading about. And it's just more history to ingest. And then I realized, well, I like David Marinus. So why not read his new biography of Jim Thorpe? Holy cow, that was really good. Or, you know, a biography of, you know, whoever. Uh, So for me, reading biographies is basically combining the best of fiction and the best of real life. And it's my excuse for how to spend time.
2: um i so i'll go uh, in terms of frustrations um so for the podcast obviously whenever i try to do whenever i cover the president i always like to cover the wife because i just feel like there are millions of pages dedicated to the men who have occupied the white house however the same cannot be said for the women um and so frustratingly sometimes you'll find that there is a lack of information readily available i've i've occurred uh I've come across this now a couple of times, like there's no substantive biography that I've been able to find about Mrs. Van Buren. She died decades before Martin Van Buren got to the White House, so okay. Um, and I also had, had that issue with Elizabeth Monroe. And I know I'm gonna have it a couple more times before I get to you know 20th century where things are a little bit easier to to track down. So that would be my biggest frustration is that I just wish that there was more out there that's easily accessible, I guess, because I'm sure that there are in the archive somewhere, some stuff about these women. Um, but being that there hasn't been any substantive biographies written about them, I'm thinking it's probably not a lot. Um, and so I just I I wish that there was more there.
1: Mm-hmm. Jeremy, For me, yeah, it feels like kind of a, a different problem altogether, where since I kind of I end up reviewing just about every book I read. It means that there is no like just reading for pure enjoyment. I mean, there there is because I I always love it, but I'm taking notes on every single book I'm reading, um, which can be a little exhausting sometimes, or, or even just feeling like I have to keep my pace up in order to have something to write about each week because um, my newsletter goes out Friday morning without fail. Um, so that's the hardest part. But you know, ultimately, I get to. To read and share my love of reading with with other people, which just makes it all worth it. So,
3: but see, the yeah. thing you said recently that it really, I really I grabbed onto was: feel free to quit reading a book that you don't like. Mm, yes. And absolutely. That's something you know. You 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 mentioned some of those old presidential biographies that when I look back, I think, how did I get through that? Well, I didn't know any <laughs> better I, at the time. I didn't know there was yeah. Robert Lemonade to look forward to right. Um, yeah, yeah, But once I start a book, I feel compelled to finish it, even if I don't like it, because I intentionally want to review it yeah. and put it on that scale and say, "Here's one that exists, but don't read it." And here's one. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I get that. I, I totally get to the that. next three days.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. I, mean, I think when you you know when there's like a project or a purpose in mind, it it can be useful to get through books and to kind of make yourself push through if you're reading you know i know too many people who read purely for enjoyment and just keep going on books they don't like and i i try to just yeah tell them over and over just don't read it life's too short if you're not enjoying it and there's not some kind of you know further purpose just just put it down it's okay
3: yeah
0: steve for you most frustrating aspect
3: oh for me it was uh uh, just not enough time too many books yeah. And and it takes me too long to write my reviews because I I, you know, I try to be mindful of how I felt about the book, but then how do I compare it to the books that I read nine years ago on uh John Quincy Adams? So, you know, as I'm always keeping in mind what's the best biography of John Quincy Adams, I can't just read the new one and say, Here it is, it's three and a half stars. I've got to remember <laughs> it needs to be compared to those seven that I right, read in right 2014. So that that that's I mean, that's the, re- the the whole reason my site exists.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's all ask one more question before we wrap this up. Um, who has questions?
1: So I've got I one have. for Alicia. Oh, go okay. Ahead. No, go ahead.
3: Okay. Well, my question for you, you've got an eclectic mix of podcasts yeah. on a variety of topics, a lot of which revolve around my favorite topic, the presidents, uh, but not all of which do. So how do you, you know, how do you source your topics and then go kind of hunt down what you need to create the podcast.
2: Oh, that's a good one. Um well I i knew when I was making the show that I wanted to kind of touch on the the known stuff, quote unquote, you know, like hopefully people know about the American Revolution, hopefully people know about George Washington, but that I also wanted to kind of tie in different stories that people might not have known. Like people know about George Washington, but do they know about Oni Judge? I mm. don't know. Um and so I will find sometimes as I'm reading about topic number one, like I believe Ron now. I've read his 900 plus page behemoth of <laughs> George Washington. It was fascinating. It's just a lot. Um, and I believe he mentions Oni Judge in there. And so that was kind of my trigger of like, oh, I actually, let me talk about this. I want to kind of go deeper into this. And is there anything else that I can read about this? Um, and so sometimes it's a, it's a matter of, as I'm reading about topic number one, I get interested in topics three, three through five um and then other times it's i i have like the smithsonian magazine and all these different magazines that i kind of subscribe to and i'll come across a random story and i'm like oh i want to know a little bit more about that i didn't know about that so i wonder if other people know about that um the the trial of levi weeks is one of those ones that you know i knew aaron burr and alexander hamilton were attorneys um but I didn't know about that, that case. And so I was lucky to find a book and some other source material. And so that's, it, it's really a lot of um, luck in some of the more random things that I find. Um, and then sometimes like I get really great requests from my listeners, they are absolutely amazing mm. so um that's always fun too like I had a I have a, a nine-year-old or I guess he's 10 year old now a 10 years old um listener and he has asked he asked that I cover Apollo 11 the uh, the Apollo oh, wow. flight crew and mm. I was like oh okay like that's so that's so fascinating <laughs> and you know that he wants to learn more about it so um yeah it's just it's a mix of stuff honestly
3: Fascinating.
1: I can tell you, my seven year old would love to hear about like the first computer, the history of the computer or something. He's asked like a number of kids' podcasts to cover. <laughs> That's
3: a good one. <laughs>
0: right, so history we're of the we're computer. working on
1: it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Add
2: it to my list.
0: G- uh, Jeremy, yeah. you have a question for any of the three? For Evan. Um, yeah, bro, yeah. Feel free. To
1: fire away at the NC. Yeah. Uh, so I'm. I guess this is probably more more for Evan. And something that I've struggled with is is when you end up um, kind of reviewing or interviewing um, authors of new books, especially, you get into that kind of book publicity world where you just get uh, deluged with requests from publishers say, hey, cover this book. Here's an author I have for you, whatever. But then there's also like, and I get that, but there's also classics I want to read. I have not yet read Power Broker, but It's on my list and I'm trying to figure out, you know, should I take like three months to read that or should I read like these four, you know, new books that publishers have sent me and and they might give me some publicity or something. So I'm just kind of curious, Evan, how you balance like the new stuff with like the classics that are still out there that you want to read. Do you feel like that's a pretty good balance?
0: Um, I read very few classics and I read exactly zero, not uh, exactly zero fiction, um, if, sure, if, but there's there, there's
1: classics of nonfiction. Yeah,
0: too. I, and so um, I've honestly read a lot of the classics that I've wanted to read. Um, someone I was talking with spoke uh, said to me that there's a great Teddy Roosevelt biography that came out in like 1930 something, and so I and this was by someone who knew Teddy Roosevelt, so I thought that might be interesting mm-hmm. one day. Um, but for me, when I get a shot at a big author, I take it. Um, Joseph yeah. J. Ellis was on the show. Michael Burlingame, Annette Gordon Reed, um, uh, you know D- David Marinus. When someone like that who has a huge following and and honestly the biggest episode that we've had by far, not even close, is Heather Richardson. Um, hmm. Heather oh, Cox yeah. Richardson. I mean, she yeah. the the episode um, doesn't normally beat the episodes that are out that week. But once you go two, three weeks back, the downloads that that she will get on that uh, for her episode are like more than ones that are like two, three weeks old, which is mm. unheard of. I mean, uh, this week's, you know the 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 current ones will do you know, will do well. She was on like a year ago, and yeah. it's still getting 25 thirty downloads. Um, and she's, you know, become a buddy of mine and it's it's incredible to get to to to, you know, she sent books to my kids uh, when she was born. So it's really become a nice little pen pal thing that we have going and we message on Twitter and stuff. So um, that has been a fun part of it is meeting people who are really in yeah. the game. I mean, Annette Gordon-Reed just liked my Facebook status. Like, you know, what world <laughs> am I, just I living say, in right It's, it's I am really very... cool. Yeah. I'm very,
2: very, 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 very jealous that you are pen pals with Heather Cox Richardson. I
0: mean, it's okay. not like every day, you know. I but...
2: don't care. She yeah. sent your kids' books. Are yeah, you she kidding did. me?
0: Yeah. It was her, pretty cool.
2: um, how, the K- how the South won the won the civil war is one of the books that we're reading in my graduate seminar oh, good. this semester. And good. I was so excited because I absolutely adore her and I love her podcast with uh, Joanne Freeman. Um, so yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm geeking out. So no, I'm no, that's,
0: that's fantastic. Yeah. It's so fantastic. Are,
1: are you going to get Meacham on? I mean,
0: he's in the publicity. So I, look, right I now. have, I have, I have tried. Um, They sent me a book but I'm still waiting for the next piece of communication. Um, maybe I'll circle back and say, "Yeah, hey, remember you sent me a book. I would love to, I have I just finished it. I would love to have him on. I've decided it's good enough. Um, there you go. <laughs> no. So, you know, but, but, but I, I do like to read the new ones and honestly, I mean, not to humble brag, but I've read a lot of the, I've read a lot. Of, I mean, I'm up to about 450 books. So yeah, um, there yeah, aren't yeah. many that are still sitting out there um, that I have yet to, to get to. Uh, I will say, Jeremy, uh, you got to read the Power Broker. It is just a completely marvelous book. Steve, have you read Power Broker? Yes,
3: yeah, so I'm going to. I'm going to just throw a little accolade your way. You warned me years before I got to LBJ that reading Caro on LBJ was going to change my life, and and so I was prepared, and it did. But I read <laughs> Power Broker when I started reading other biographies, and I thought who was this guy why have i never heard of him and oh my god am i really going to do this and it was for a thousand page book it was fascinating mm. very well done so good. Um, but it takes time even if you sort of speed read it takes time um but uh, it, it, it you need to go on vacation somewhere with nothing to do <laughs> other than talk to your wife have her go off and you yeah, know. Yeah.
1: I have a vacation coming up to the, the California beach at the end of November. So maybe I'll and, do and
0: that. I, I will tell you, I'm, I had heard of Robert Moses. I had been to the state park and I, there were a yeah. couple of other things named him cause I'm from New York. So there are a couple of things named after him um, that I was familiar with, but I had no idea that I was driving on his highways and playing in his parks and going to his beaches and living with the New York that he built um it it is a remarkable book and um i uh i don't want to i can't insist you read anything but i would say that it is a fabulous book
3: it's a fascinating history and it will it will remind you how ephemeral we all are because you think in his time he was the big shot you can't read that book and not think anything but he was the most important person within 100 miles of 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 you know New York, and now ninety nine point nine percent of people walking the planet have never heard of him.
0: It's 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 crazy. Um, this book is crazy. So I I have two book I have two two books I have two questions to 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 finish off with here. First of all, I mean this is like a joke of a question because we've probably between the four of us read you know two thousand or three thousand books. But um, favorite book for everybody. I mean that's just tough, right? I, yeah, I am sorry. We can see each other on Zoom wow. here. Um, is there a book that you just look at and say, that's the one, I'm so thankful I read that book. That's that's it.
2: And that's hard. I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to give you a couple of titles. So there is one that uh, I read as a child that I think is what hooked me into reading, and therefore, I will always love it, and I pick it up every decade or so, because it is a children's book, and that's uh, Matilda by Rod Dahl. Huh. So love that book love it every single time i read it um and so i have a copy of it very well used copy that i like i said i i read that about every 10 years um i would say Samantha Powers memoir um and of course the name is escaping me and i feel terrible um but she wrote about her her time in obama's administration um and just being a public servant and and what what her experiences were and i just it was so well done and thoughtful and good prose um that i it's one of those books that i feel oh so happy to have been able to read it um and then most recently for the podcast uh, i would say frederick douglas's biography by david mm. blight i want to yeah,
0: say really good book so yeah, good yeah. Oh, so so good
2: I I was a little intimidated because, you know, 700 some odd pages and not a very, not a very fast reader. And, you know, with the podcast, I kind of have to get through a a lot of stuff. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll just kind of skim through it. Nope. I was engrossed immediately. Um, Such a fabulous writer. And then just opened up the world of Frederick Douglass to me. Like I knew who he was, Mm -hmm. obviously, but the nuance and the struggle and just how intelligent the man was and how long he fought for his ideals and i just um it was amazing book and i highly recommend it so i cheated i gave you three
0: (laughs) you're good (laughs) jeremy steve
1: i i'm
2: deferring to steve
1: first steve oh my well i'm easy
3: you've already i've already sort of telegraphed my hand uh run run churners run churnose hamilton his Washington, his John D Rockefeller, uh, and Robert Massey's Nicholas and Alexandra.
1: Mm, Massey is incredible. Yeah. That's a great recommendation. Um, for me, so I'll give just, uh, I will also give a few picks, uh, in three different genres, let's say. So I'll do a memoir when breath becomes air by Paul Kalanithi, uh, who was a late neuroscientist and neurosurgeon. I read his book, uh, after each of my three kids were born. uh, It's like just the most powerful moving book about meaning and life and all that 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 you could possibly read. So I highly recommend that to everyone I come across. Uh, For fiction, I'll go with Lonesome Dove, Western epic. Um, It's like definitely genre fiction, but it's a story that anyone can get behind and enjoy. And I love recommending it. But when it comes to history i would say uh hamilton absolutely is a book i want to read over and over again um and also caro i mean his his approach to biography is, is just unmatched there's nobody else that could do what he does so especially if you're going for like a unique voice um his is unforgettable so
3: so true uh
0: yeah i would i would say caro the lbj books and the the power broker or my favorites. Um, but I'll throw another one in there. Uh, City of Dreams by Tyler Ann Binder is an um, unbelievable look at the immigrants who shaped New York City. Um, mm-hmm. completely fabulous book, and uh, it's one of the 25 I've given five stars to out of you know 450 books. Um, mm-hmm. all right, pretty much here at the end, unless anyone else has anything else they want to inject with, let me finish up with who is each of your biggest followers who listens to every episode or reads every review.
3: Hey mom. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I did find the title of the book. So just because I I do want to respect Miss power's work, it's the education of an idealist by Samantha power. So definitely highly her, recommend very good read
0: her book on genocide. Not that it's a, a, a joyful topic, but her book on genocide is
2: very, very good. Is that the a problem from hell? Oh, I okay. think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she's an amazing writer, so I would highly recommend anything she writes. But um so my my husband obviously, you know, heaven help him, he is a big well I wouldn't call him a fan but he's a big supporter of the podcast <laughs> so fan. every Saturday when the episode comes out we have a little tradition where we do our coffee and we listen to civics and coffee mm. so he's a he's a sweet sweet man so thank you honey um but I would say That's in terms great. of my biggest biggest fan is uh, a friend of mine from work um every guest spot that I do every guest that I have on she helps me prep she makes me feel like a powerful woman so shout out to my friend Val because I know she'll be listening to this one because she was so excited when I said I was going to on the show. Um so hi Val, thank you. <laughs> uh
1: I would say I mean my wife, yeah, to continue the theme, she actually edits all of my newsletters. Um and I convinced her to read War and Peace, which is incredible. She's not like into classics, especially big Russian classics. <laughs> um so yeah, she, I mean she's she's definitely my biggest supporter. Otherwise I love having like a few other people in the, the book blogging world who I know read it. So I know Anne Bogle is a reader who writes Modern Mrs. Darcy um, and a few others. Jim Mustick wrote a book called The Thousand Street Before You Die. I know he he reads the newsletter. Um, so that's really fun knowing that, that I have a little bit of, it, of an influence on other bookish people. So
0: uh, I'm my mother. Suzanne is obviously one. Yeah. Um, without her what are you, you know. and then uh, the second <laughs> one the second one is my uncle Jeff he says he has listened to every episode so you got uh, I can guarantee my mom and my uncle are the two people who have listened to each one so thanks to them and thanks to all of you for being here Alicia Asai of Civics and Coffee Jeremy Anderberg of What to Read Next and Steve Floyd of BestPresidentialBios.com thank you all so much for being here
2: Happy
0: 100th. Thank you very thank- much. Uh,
2: Congratulations.
0: Thanks so much. Uh, check out Alicia on your podcast app. Add Jeremy to your Substack list and add Steve's website to your bookmarks. I want to invite listeners to our Patreon page to ask for your support in keeping the show going. Go to patreon.com slash Axel History. We will donate part of your contributions to a charity for children's literacy. And thank you for listening to Axel Bank Reports History and Today conversations with america's top non-fiction authors and why their books matter right now check us out on facebook twitter and instagram at axel bank history we update those with clips from the show guest announcements and book recommendations we'll see you next time thanks